We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Chris Biederman is out this week, so I'm flying solo, but I'm going to have some guests, and we're going to start off with Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky. He is from the Morning Roast on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. We talk about the 49ers past, 49ers present, and 49ers future, both short and long-term. Plus, we discuss Deshaun Watson a little bit. It wouldn't be a 49ers offseason pod without it. So this is a super fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. All right, Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky is here. You can hear him on 95.7 The Game weekdays, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Joe, thanks so much for jumping on, and thank you for taking time out of your day. When I know it's 4.17 p.m., I imagine you're probably getting to bed pretty soon. (laughs) Damn near it. I feel like uh, me and all the toddlers in the Bay Area go to bed around the same time and probably wake up about the same time, to be totally honest with you. Get that blue plate special in and then hit the sack. We love to see it. So I don't I don't know a lot of people who know the 49ers as well or better than you do. And I've been trying to get you on the pod for a while. Uh, so I figured first pod of the offseason was a, was a good time to do it. Um, rather than go at this from a traditional here's a topic, let's talk about its standpoint. Mm-hmm. I figured we'd we'd have a little fun in getting into those topics. So I have uh, two, four, like seven sentences here. Okay. And I have another thing that I'll, that I'll bring up at the end that we can chat about, but I'm going to give a sentence with a word left out and then you complete that sentence and we'll talk about it. Let's do it. All right. Very good. I would be remiss, by the way, it's first, first pot of the offseason, Monday after the Super Bowl, uh, Bucks beat the Chiefs 31 to 9. And we'll get to that and how the 49ers tie in a little bit later. But first sentence, blank is my favorite 49ers player of all time. Wow. I mean, that's a loaded question. Jeez Yeah, you're welcome. I'm throwing fastballs off the top. Uh, Honestly, it's probably Patrick Willis. And just because of what he signifies and what he means to me. You know, I sat through garbage for so many years and I watched this guy from day one Every single snap of his career, give his entire body to the team. And I just appreciated everything he represented. He represented class, 
personified heart, uh, tenacity, the ability to overcome the odds, whether we're talking about his personal life, his story, coming to this organization during a time of turmoil, taking the baton from, from Bryant Young, one of my other favorite players of all time, and then ushering us from the dark ages of Nolan and Singletary, and obviously that, that final game with Tom Sula before he got the real job, to Harbaugh. And it's just seeing that rise and that come up, I felt like I grew with Patrick Willis. So I'm going to lean Patrick Willis right now. But if you ask me tomorrow, I might say somebody else. Right, right. Two things on Patrick Willis. One, ridiculous that he's not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> come on, man. It's, it's absolutely absurd. If the guy was an all-pro every single snap of his career. It's, it's unbelievable. I I don't understand how you put Calvin Johnson in. Like, Not to say Calvin Johnson shouldn't be in. He is. He's a Hall of Famer. I'm absolutely. not disputing that. But how you're putting Calvin Johnson in, and Patrick Willis, my guy, can't even be a finalist? It's it's absurd. It's Kyle, here's the totally thing. Totally outrageous. If we're looking at the evolution of the linebacker position, like Ray Lewis played the linebacker position different from Patrick Willis. Mm-hmm. Patrick Willis plays it significantly different than what you see from Fred Warner right now. Like, there's been an evolution, right? Uh, as you're watching, as two great linebackers dominate that game yesterday defensively for mm-hmm. Tampa Bay. But I feel like without Patrick Willis, there's no huge evolutionary step from Tampa taking on fullbacks to be able to cover in space. Like, he is not what Warner is in terms of uh, pass coverage, but he started that. I remember one of his breakout games was slowing down Tony Gonzalez. Remember that? When Tony Gonzalez and the Chiefs came into town and and you had Julian Peterson years before slowing him down? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Patrick Willis, man, he just represents everything I love about football. He was such a leader, so unspoken off the field. And when he talked, I listened. And so did his teammates. And just again, look at the body of work. He didn't hang around like a bunch of guys do at the end of their career and give you crappy years. Every single year was a Pro Bowl, all-pro caliber uh, uh, season. And look what his peers think about him. Ask Steven Jackson, who battled with him in division for years. Ask Marshall Falk, not Marshall Falk, but uh, what's his face? Marshawn Lynch, excuse me, what he thinks of him. Ask other contemporary superstars of that era what they think of Patrick Willis. Ask Bobby Wagner. Ask Luke Keekley what Patrick Willis meant to their careers. The guys should be in the hall of fame i agree entirely i'm glad you brought up <clears throat> excuse me i'm glad you brought up fred warner because one of the first things you said to me we we had met and we chatted a few times but when you were doing 49ers pre and post uh, out there at the the hotel name is escaping me help me out the hilton in santa Clara. the hilton the hilton thank you uh, I, I, there was another hotel name that was coming into my head and I knew it wasn't right. <laughs> so I didn't want to get that wrong. But one of the first things you said to me that just floored me was you said that you think that Fred Warner is better than Patrick Willis. And what I mean by that is that I actually yeah, please think elaborate. the way the league is trending, you could play the linebacker position for a longer period of time the way Fred Warner plays the linebacker position. And I actually think he does more things comparable to what Navarro mm-hmm. Bowman did in that 2013 season in terms of stuffing the run, playing sideline to sideline, being able to cover not just tight ends running backs in space, wide receivers in space. I'm not taking anything away from Patrick Willis. But what Fred Warner does on the field is more versatile. You're looking at a safety who runs and moves like a safety, who hits like a defensive lineman, and has the cerebral wherewithal and awareness to bait quarterbacks into throws and then makes plays on the ball. Like, if you can create turnovers, you are at a whole nother level in terms of defensive players. That's why the defensive linemen get paid what they get paid. They not only can strip the quarterback but they make game-changing sacks it's the same thing in the secondary you have that same guy but he plays the middle of the field at linebacker and he can do all of those things and the part that he really added to the last uh, year of his career was the blitzing he's got a spin move blitz that is unstoppable look Let's see where he's at eight, nine, ten years into his career, if he's still playing that long. But the way he plays the game, I don't think he's going to have the physical wear and tear that someone like Patrick Willis had. Willis was going head on with fullbacks. How many yeah. fullbacks the are in the league? Game's just so different now. Yeah, exactly. There's like three, and the one of them's on the 49ers. Exactly. So I just think that his body's going to be able to age a little more gracefully than yeah. say Patrick Willis and Ray Lewis, who literally had to take on the point of attack on every single play. All right, I want to I want to pick up Fred Warner and and put a pin in him. We'll get back to him later. Uh, next next sentence I want you to complete. Blank is my favorite 49ers season. 
Mm. <laughs> I honestly think it's the 2011 season. It's easy to say a Super Bowl season is the best yeah. season, right? Like that's easy to me. Some of my favorite years were non-Super Bowl seasons. 2002, 2001 were great seasons for me as a fan. Like I watched the evolution of Terrell Owens, Jeff Garcia, yeah. that entire nucleus. Like I love that defense with Jim Moore Jr. 2011 for me, coming from the dark ages of I was still entitled, I thought we were going to win championships still in the early 2000s, to I'm paying out of my own pocket to sit and watch a 1-11 team <laughs> get pounded by another 1-11 team named the Miami Dolphins with Randy McMichael on my birthday. I realized, like, oh my goodness, it's not birthright to be in the NFC Championship game. So right. to finally get back and have, I would say, some of the most epic games in my entire Niner life, like just watching football, that New Orleans Saints game, I still believe that's a top five franchise game. Like dead serious. I completely I, agree. A top five franchise game of all time. And I know people lose their minds. Like, well, it didn't end in the Super Bowl. That doesn't take anything away from it. Drew Brees had championship lore. Sean Payton, Greg Williams saying they're going to cut the head off the snake. Alex Smith having the greatest six minutes of his entire career. I mean, Frank Gore, the Vernon Davis plays, the Dante Whitner hit. I mean, just go through that season. And if you didn't feel some things, I don't know what to tell you. That the I thought Alex Smith was finished. Forget the Niners. In the yeah. NFL. Yes. In the NFL. I mean, the, the, the emergence of Kendall Hunter, Deshaun Golson, Carlos Rogers. Like I, I'm losing my mind at this point. But then, and and we haven't even talked about it. Alden Smith. I mean, yeah. Alden Smith was unbelievable. The sixth pick. I never even heard of this guy. He broke his leg in college. I'm thinking, who the hell is this guy? They reached on. Is it Manny Lawson 2.0? And he has one of the great rookie seasons in NFL history without that, starting. Uh, it's it's <laughs> unbelievable, man. It's and and Michael Crabtree slowly started to play better that year. Uh, it just it breaks my heart that we ended the year throwing to Brett Swain on third and uh, a thousand and. And Al, Ahmed Bradshaw, to this day, I will go to my dying bed saying he fumbled in that NFC Championship game in overtime, yeah. and the refs blew that entire sequence uh, short. We would have beat the Patriots. Uh, there's, there is no doubt in my mind we were going to beat the Patriots that year. It's just that's my favorite team I think ever. That was the year because my mom's been a season ticket holder for as as long as I can remember, and I'm a little bit younger than you. I was born in '90. I don't remember the Super Bowl team. And the Terrell Owens catch against Green Bay is one of my very first like <laughs> football memories where I remember where I was. But most of my cognizant life growing up as a 49er fan, they were bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they were, You're not alone. Yeah. They were they were really bad. And man, I'll never forget after that Saints game, um I I was there with my mom and on the way home. She just goes, I'm so glad you get to experience this <laughs> because I mean, she grew up, I mean, you know, my mom was, was in her mid and late twenties when the Niners were dominant. Like she got this awesome run. And then I, as I'm growing up, it's just kind of, you know, it's okay. There's a couple Jeff Garcia years, but then mm -hmm. it's Alex Smith and the Trent Dilfers and the JT O'Sullivan's and, and it was just bad football. And, and I, I'm with you that 2011 season was it was, I think, the suddenness of it. Because mm -hmm. if you go back, the, the revisionist history on Alex Smith oh. has been unbelievable. But Chris and I, on, on the podcast, and we're going to pick it back up, we're doing a series called The Old Rush. Yeah. And it's we're going back through starting at the beginning of the Harbaugh era and just kind of rewatching some old games. And if you go back and watch, go, it's on NFL Game Pass. Go watch that week one of 2011. The broadcasters are like, yeah, Alex Smith is back, but kind of on accident. Uh, they didn't really have anybody else. So Camp he's Alex. here. Yeah. So he's here and they're going to roll with him for, for a year. Was that the Ted Ginn Jr. Game where he returned yes. two kicks? Yeah. Kicking a, a, a punt. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's Seattle. Uh, Seattle. Okay. I thought it was hey, St. Louis. Week one. Real quick, real quick. I go watch that. Richard Sherman didn't play defense and was abysmal in pun coverage. <laughs> Just atrocious. <laughs> well, you got to understand, like we were coming out of such a horrible time at that point. Everybody wanted Harbaugh. We all did. He was kicking mm -hmm. ass down at Stanford, yeah. but I thought he was going to go to the Miami Dolphins. I thought the big money was going to lure him away. I'm thinking there's no way he's going to want to come here. Oh, we're going to have a worldwide search and they hand select Mike Singletary inside the locker room, you know, at texting oh. Adam Schefter, Jed York saying, we're still going to make the playoffs even though they started like one in five or whatever it was the year before that. So it was a really dark time. And anybody who says 
they saw that coming is full of it. They lost a heartbreaker to the Dallas Cowboys in overtime. I think it was week two of that yeah. year. And yep. Tony Romo came back with broken ribs. And the and guy like in that. Lacerated spleen. Oh, and Holly ran for a deep one against him. Miles Austin destroyed them. Yeah. I mean, there were some great, honest to God, some great games that entire year, Kyle, that just go down. And, I, and again, I go back to that playoff game. I have been so lucky and so spoiled to go to so many great playoff games. Mm. 94 championship. I've been to the uh, uh, a ton more. Obviously, I was at the T.O. game against Green Bay in that wild card round against Mike Holmgren, his final game with Green Bay. Uh, I was at the New York Giants wild-ass ending game where T.O. came back after getting uh, knocked down early, down whatever, 25 points or whatever it was, the tie streets touchdown. Yeah. I still, to this day, one of the greatest games I've ever been to in across sports is the New Orleans game. And again, been to a zillion different playoff games. No one sat the entire game. We were standing bonkers, the entire freaking game. Grown adults crying from left to right throughout the entire stadium because Alex freaking Smith beat Drew Brees not once but twice in the final five minutes with his arm and his leg. It's still, to this day, one of the most incredible moments in sports history. It was the, the Saints at that time were like the Chiefs in that mm -hmm. they were just kind of – that offense was inevitable. It was 100%. just going to happen, and then it happened, and then the 49ers came back, and then it happened again, and the 49ers came back again with this quarterback that people wanted benched for David Carr <laughs> Joy Smith. 13 months prior. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pretty I unbelievable through, stuff. I went through the whole gamut of quarterback roulette back then. Nate Davis, yeah. oh. uh, Derek Carr's brother. I sent so many elated text messages <laughs> when the 49ers drafted Nate Davis out of Ball State. Oh, dude. It was like, He's bad. the guy. Dude, I had buddies. I had a buddy get a JTL Sullivan UC Davis Aggies jersey. He made it customized. He went up to the campus and begged them to sell him just a blank jersey and then went to this place down in Saramani and actually had them sew on mock navy blue and, and, and gold uh, numbers on it so that he could have a JTL Sullivan's just turnovers, baby, O'Sullivan's jersey. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's how bad it was being a Niner fan, Kyle. It was, it was really brutal. Um, like I said, that's really all I knew growing up. And and now they've they've been to two Super Bowls in the last uh, last decade. Now let's get to the more modern stuff. I just wanted to get kind of your your yeah. takes on those on those two things. Let's get to the more contemporary stuff that that matters now. I'm going to start with the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo is uh, a B type player. I think he's a B. I think he's a B. I really do. I think that we've overrated um, certain quarterbacks throughout the league and underrated some. And I think for Jimmy, I think he's properly rated by most. I think some people, they want Tom Brady or they want Joe Montana or Steve Young. You know, they want greatness and that's it. That's all they'll accept. You can win with a B. You, you can be functional and win a lot of playoff games and like they did get on the doorstep of winning the Super Bowl. Can you do that every single year and piece the roster together? It's really hard. It's really hard. But the problem is, and I've learned this as a 49er fan, if you just throw away a B player at quarterback and you go to a C or a D, you're non-functional. You're throwing up all over yourself in the second half of games, and yep. you are literally building no momentum whatsoever. Am I always on the search for an A-plus player? Absolutely. That's what you're trying to do in any business, in any sport. I want the premium of premium players. Just keeping Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't preclude me from going out and looking for something better, but I think that you got to be very careful here. He's great for right now, and I'm mm -hmm. hoping to find something even better down the line. But for right now, what they want to do, yeah, he needs to be more healthy. Yeah, I'd like him to be able to extend plays a little more, throw outside the numbers. But you can win with a B player at quarterback. So I would grade him as a B. That's what Jimmy Garoppolo is. Unfortunately, too many people want A-plus or nothing at all. And that's just not how life is. Right. And I think especially with with Garoppolo, because I, I, I agree with you. Like, he's good. He's not bad. He's He's... I'm of the mind that if you're ranking quarterbacks, when you get to like 14 or 15, the gap between number 15 and number 24 is really small. Mm -hmm. And you can just kind of put those guys. I think he's in, I think he's in that group. And I'm, I, I, I think it's gotten overblown his deficiencies as a quarterback because of the final seven minutes of the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And then he got hurt so early last season. I just don't think there was any chance he was ever going to be right last season. So I'm, I personally kind of throw out 
what we saw from him last season because I don't think that's any kind of version of Jimmy Garoppolo that we're going to get when he's healthy. No, and I think that he suffers from what the left fielder for the San Francisco Giants has suffered from for the last 13 years. Oh my God, you're not Barry Bonds. Well, yeah, who is? Oh my God, you're not Steve Young. You're not Joe Montana. Yeah, we kicked Jeff Garcia out of town because he wasn't any of those players. And then I look back in retrospect and I'm saying, Oh my God, Jeff Garcia was awesome for the San Francisco 49ers. Why did we not appreciate this guy in real time? Well, I look back and see people, you know, praising Colin Kaepernick. And I said, where was this praise during the middle of the run? Like we do this as 49er fans with that position. If you think this is bad, wait till the next point guard who has to be playing point guard for the Golden State Warriors after Steph Curry comes around. Oh my God. Because that no, guy's never going to be able to live up to it. And no. unfortunately for Jimmy Garoppolo, it's, did you win the Super Bowl? Okay, everything else is a failure. And that's just not true. Only one team hoists it at the end of the year. If you're in the mix, that's all you can ask for. But the thing is, and, and there's, it's unavoidable, he's got to stay healthy. That's the yep. biggest knock on Jimmy Garoppolo right now. You could say arm and all these different things, and I would have a counter to it. But the injuries, I have no counter to it. He has to stay healthy. Yep. That's, that's going to – that is – I'm there. I think if he's healthy, there's a version of this offense that that is fine and they can go win a championship with it. It, but if he's not on the field, like there's no there's no defending that. Exactly, exactly. And I want to see him come back because I think there's at least a better. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed level to his game better wide receivers around him you've got some younger players that can excel build this offensive line like as much as we want to blame him I think from a team building aspect they did a disservice to the man if you know he's a pocket quarterback I don't know build a pocket for the guy get him a center and a couple of guards who can actually be competent I think we've overrated how bad Mike McGlinchey uh, was last year he's fine like he's middle of the pack he's going to be good some weeks and bad others but guard center guard for me is an area you can always get better with the 49ers. So I'd like to see them hit on that. And then let's just see what we can do with this running game with Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo. Roll it back with Jimmy. But that doesn't mean I'm not out there trying to draft somebody, Kyle. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. The 49ers starting quarterback week one is... I'm going to say Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm going to say it's Jimmy Garoppolo right now because is the juice worth the squeeze? So you're going to make a trade and give up allocation of whether it's more money for somebody else or Mm -hmm. you're going to give up draft capital for someone who's just incrementally better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Like that doesn't make sense to me. That's a lateral move. I'm all about upgrades. I'm I'm here. I'll listen to your upgrade. But it has to be a clear upgrade. And then the question is, well, how much does it cost? There's a cost analysis with all this. Yeah, in a vacuum, is Matt Stafford better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Absolutely. Am I willing to surrender a new deal and a bunch of draft picks to to make that upgrade? No, I'm not. I I use the analogy of acquiring a new house. I bought a house 10 years ago. If I wanted to buy a new house that was, let's just say 500 square feet bigger, a thousand square feet bigger, am I willing to pay five times the amount of property tax for the rest of my life? No, because the juice (laughs) doesn't justify the squeeze. Right. And I think that's, that's exactly what you just described is, I think, 
what the 49ers organization looks at too. I think there's been this this groundswell on the internet in various forums, whether it's Twitter, Reddit, whatever, that that says Jimmy Garoppolo stinks. And maybe we look back in retrospect and there's a version of this Niners offense that's just awesome and he was holding it back. But I think the 49ers look at it exactly the way you you do. I mean, Kyle, how many quarterbacks in our life have gone up into Seattle when Mike Holmgren was the coach and Matt Hasselbeck and Sean Alexander were right. whooping our butt and loafing to Tupu in the middle? How, how many quarterbacks have gone up there in a 49er red and gold uniform and won a game in December? Because I watched yeah, not, this guy go up there in week 17, and he looked pretty damn good. Now, I'm not saying that's who he is every single week, but we're acting about like – we talk about him like he's a bum, Kyle. Like right. he's like like he's non-functional. Like we're talking about Ken Dorsey. I watch Ken Dorsey. He's <laughs> a bum. Jimmy Garoppolo's not a bum. Right. The, the game in Seattle, I think, gets undersold quite a bit because the touchdown numbers weren't there. I don't think he threw any. But he was dynamite through four quarters. <sighs> he was awesome. He was and, awesome. And they and, called that back at the end, that little screenplay, Kyle. I mean, he, he, we could have never had Russ make a play down the stretch had they didn't call some egregious personal foul yeah. on Ben Garland. Yep. All right. Let's let's talk let's talk about the coach. Kyle Shanahan needs to blank. Wow. Kyle Shanahan needs to evolve his thinking on certain things. I have this theory about coaches. Ooh, Fans okay. think that coaches are, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, but like imagine yes. Han Solo frozen in carbonite. My opinion of a coach is frozen in carbonite and that coach can never get better or worse. He is who he is for the entirety of his career. Think of how we look at someone like Andy Reid. Now that he finally won a Super Bowl, he's always been great. Yeah, he got better at time management. He also right. got a generational quarterback. And now he's got the dynasty dust sprinkled on him, and he can do no wrong. No one can criticize Andy Reid. Kyle's a really, really, really good coach. But I hope as he gets older, like Pete Carroll, like Bill Belichick, like Andy Reid, like Mike Tomlin, he can get better with age. That he can minimize some of his stubbornness and his flaws and how he views the quarterback position. That he doesn't overthink down and distance time situations late in games like he did a couple of times last year where it, it just, he was overthinking. I'm going to be aggressive here. I'm going to be conservative here. Like overcompensating for some of his prior mistakes mistakes and I, I hope that he can at some point honestly I mean this I hope that he can win the big one so we can just stop talking about him again like he's a bum like every yeah. great win that he had all of his outsmarting of all the different coaches that he did in 2019 is all for naught because the team had an unbelievable collapse with six minutes to go it just nothing drives me more insane than Frank Gore shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because he didn't get three extra yards Jimmy Garoppolo's a bum because he couldn't connect with Emmanuel Sanders on a 50-yard bomb Kyle Shanahan choked away the Super Bowl even though he was up 10 points against one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen and had them in position to win four downs 50-yard line ready to go yes I would like him to close some games out but man for a 40-year-old coach you could do a hell of a lot worse than Kyle Shannon. So I hope he evolves his thinking over time and doesn't become close-minded. It feels sometimes like he does coach emotionally. Mm -hmm. Like every once in a while, there's like a bad challenge and it's like, oh, he's that that's just a pissed off coach. It's just going to challenge something. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's just, like you said, he's, he's 40. He's extremely young. Um, I, I think that, My my biggest thing with Shanahan is I think he and maybe this is along the lines of what what you're saying, but I think he adheres too much to like CJ Beathard. CJ Beathard was not it. And the fact that he was traded up to get him and then kept him around for four years uh, and, and wasn't trying to to bring in a a better option and I, and I understand if it's a QB three like not a lot of teams are worried about that but uh I just I think he adheres too much to like his guys there is no question about it he plays roster politics and 
again, whether you I don't know took, if it's that, but no, no, no. But I think what ends up happening, this is the way I look at it. It's like an investment, right? The thing that you do when you're investing is the worst thing you possible is to be stubborn on a stock or on a piece of real estate that's losing you money. The, right. the best thing to do is to just cut bait, wipe your hands, punch his pilot it and get rid of that and, and just cut your losses right then and there. Instead, he wants to hold on to that loss and it continues to depreciate and depreciate and depreciate to his own detriment. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, and again, this isn't like, this isn't a fatal flaw. This isn't like, oh, he's yeah, Jim right, Tom Sula right. and he's awful. These right. are just some of the wrinkles that I've noticed throughout the five years, right? And and look, man, I hope that after a decade in the league, he can be able to make these decisions without even blinking. Because you look at, at Belichick on the sideline, that's a guy who's been coaching for 30 years. Yeah. 30 years. And he's just stoic. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's had so many different opportunities to succeed and fail in every circumstance. Kyle's still building that repertoire up. Kyle, Kyle Matson, are you a better broadcaster today than what you were five years ago? Yeah, not even close. And it's the same thing for head coaching. Right. Yet for some reason, we think these guys are frozen in carbonite and they don't get better or worse. That's just not true. I hope he will evolve and get better as time goes on. What do you think? What do you think of Kyle right now in terms of where he stacks up in division and in the rest of the league? Because I see a lot of people losing faith in him. I think he's a really good coach, and the fact that we had to to go to. I hope he evolves and maybe he hung on to CJ Beathard for too long. And CJ Beathard, I think Dante Pettis, like I respect that he was trying to give Pettis a chance, but I think it was pretty clear after year two that, that he wasn't going to be the guy. Um, and that's such nitpicking stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks volume about where he is as a coach. I think he's exceptional. I think the fact that um, they were even competitive this season through 17 weeks is a testament to him as a coach. I think he identifies coaches for his coaching staff and is excellent at it and puts his players in a position to, uh, to be successful. Um, and I think that's where, that's where the hullabaloo about winning championships and oh, what happened in that final seven minutes or whatever, that's it overshadows all the good things he does as a coach. And I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that the 49ers in 2017, 2018, and then in 2020 through uh, a ton of adversity injuries and otherwise continued to play hard through the final snap. Kyle, and they almost won eight games with a bunch of guys on IR who were yes. all their top paid players. Yes. yes. I mean, it, it was almost a miracle that they were in as many games as they were in. They had they had some guy, what is it, Ray Rivercraft or whatever the hell his name? River Craycraft. I started at wide receiver. I never even heard of the guy. I mean, are you kidding me? On a Thursday it's night, a Washington State guy. legend to you, sir. Jesus, criminy. Which is, I think, if you're a fan base, you'd rather have that than be the Browns, where you go crazy because you made the playoffs. You know, I just, I think it could be worse. All right, next sentence. The 49ers' biggest offseason need is blank. Wow. So I'm going to go something different with you on this one. I'm gonna I say, think you're about to agree with me. Go ahead. I, I'm going to say cap flexibility. And what I mean by that is oh. I, I think that they need to do some reshuffling here. No, I, I really do. Like I, I'm looking at just the way they've allocated their funds the last couple of years and the way the Rams have allocated their funds. And I don't think the Rams are the end-all, be-all template. But like their top seven players, outside of Jared Goff, were six of their top seven players. Jared Goff obviously being their highest-paid player. Um, I look at the 49ers, and their top six, seven players – Five of them barely played for them last year, and that's a problem yeah. for me. So they need yep. to reset their decks financially. Like we could talk all we want about quarterback and all this. D Ford didn't even play for them last year. The guy was getting paid fifth most amount of money at the defensive end position, like eighteen million dollars a year for a guy who played like a half, a half. Weston yeah. Richburg in twenty seventeen was given the highest center free agent. Uh, contract in the history of the NFL. He's been awful because he hasn't been on the field. Like yep. we could talk about Jimmy Garoppolo all we want. They lost that Super Bowl because Chris Jones dominated Ben Garland, and Ben yep. Garland barely played this year. Like it has been a like fourth, fifth string center situation forever. You know why? Because they're up against it financially with the cap. Jaquaski Tart's a free agent. I'd let him walk. Like there's a ton of different guys making a lot of money 
that it's not it has anything to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like Jimmy is getting average amount of quarterback money, which is where I would place him relative to the rest of the league. It's the Quan Alexanders, the D Fords. You're still paying Malcolm Smith a little bit of dead cap money. Those are the kind of contracts that have really hindered them. Not Jimmy Garoppolo's money. Yeah, I would love Jimmy Garoppolo to be healthy. Stop giving Jarek McKinnon money. Stop giving, you know, Tevin Coleman money to play special teams. Like right. I think that they need to do a hard look at their financial situation this offseason and if you have to cut a guy a year early and suck it up so you have some wiggle room moving forward then maybe that's what you just got to do one of my favorite twitter things at the end of the year was like wow tevin coleman's an awesome gunner (laughs) come on (laughs) great uh one of the things did i go random there that yeah I, i was looking for a position but we can get there okay i i i think that one of the biggest things to me that stood out in John Lynch's end of season press conference was him saying that they're going to look at how they how they evaluate injured players and bringing in and taking chances on players mm-hmm. with injury histories mm-hmm. because all of that all of that ties into what you're talking about right now. Yeah. You know, and and I, I if if you want to take you can take a chance on an injured guy when your roster is is maybe one piece away and it's like okay that guy's had some injuries but we'll bring him in and see if we can get him to stay healthy you know awesome what they did with Jason Verrett for example they didn't necessarily need a cornerback but you can bring a guy like that in you can let him work through his injuries he's on a like million dollar deal that's great but giving D Ford who's had already had two back surgeries and was dealing with a knee injury bringing him in and giving him that massive contract like that's extremely risky and the the risk reward the risk side of it is that he sits out a whole year and and eats up you know 25 percent of the cap or whatever it was it's been bad well 25 percent but you know what i mean I, I totally get what you're saying so like again we obsess about quarterback and i look at this as like there's two timelines right there's like my long-term quarterback timeline and then there's like well how do i win next year right and sometimes those things are going to conflict with each other and sometimes they're going to be on par with each other um and basically the way i'm looking at this and sorry the, my phone was ringing the way i'm looking at this right now is that immediately if you're asking me joe how do you want this team to get better so that they can compete next year i'm sorry you go get an edge guy to be on the opposite side of nick bosa because you're in a division with elite quarterback play and if you can have the best defense in the division and a front seven that wreaks havoc you will be competitive it's very simple to me now does that mean that i don't draft a long-term of course i want to draft a long-term quarterback but i'm trying to do multiple things at once Outside pressure, whether it's an outside linebacker or a D-end, depending on what scheme they're going to run, I'm still not really sure if they're going to go back to Seattle or run some sort of a hybrid 3-4. I really don't know. But like they need someone to play opposite Nick Bosa to alleviate the double and triple teams because you saw it in the Super Bowl. JPP with three fingers is still out here caving in tackles. That's my number one need for the 49ers. And I, th- I, I think that the fan base would, a portion of the fan base would lose its mind if they draft another defensive lineman with their first pick. But at number 12, that's going to be like the sweet spot to find a good edge rusher in this draft, I think. And you said it, their organizational philosophy is affecting the quarterback. Go, go mess with the other quarterback you saw in the Super Bowl. Like you mentioned, how how awesome those guys were. Unreal. Um, I, I just it's Nick Bosa right now, and no, the D Ford probably won't be back for the start of the year, if at all. Ronald Blair is a free agent, and he can't start. I don't think. Um, I like Kerry Hyder, but who knows? He's who gonna knows? get priced out. Yeah, he's gonna get priced out. You don't have a huge year as an edge rusher, and then and then get signed late in free agency for a couple million dollars. Like teams always need that. So And where I'm are with you at, you. Kyle? Where are you at, Kyle, in terms of like philosophical because I see people safety and cornerback. I used to love corner like say uh, corners that could cover, yeah. right? Like, everyone wants Darrell Revis. 
Those guys don't exist in the league anymore. There, there's like one guy, Stephon Gilmore, who had a bad year last year, who was yeah. like an elite shutdown corner, okay? You might be able to point to one or two outliers. Like edge pressure is edge pressure against yeah. every opponent, no matter who you're playing. It's not scheme dependent. It's not matchup dependent. Like you expect those guys to go out there and give you pressure in a quarterback's face. And I'm a believer Pressure helps alleviate your secondary, even if it yeah. does suck. So that's the way I view it. Like, I don't build from the back to the forward. I build from the front, the trenches, all the way to the back. That's my team-building philosophy. What about you? I'm the I, I'm I'm in that same boat. I I know the analytics community says otherwise that having elite coverage guys is is better, but I just I watched I I, I you want to talk about 2011? I watched Carlos Rogers and Terrell Brown become Pro Bowl caliber players because of Alden Smith and Justin Smith. Um, we watched we watched uh, Emmanuel Mosley mm -hmm. and and Richard Sherman Richard Sherman becoming All Pro again. And Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart and this secondary that was abysmal in 2018 become awesome with the inclusion of Nick Bosa and D Ford. Absolutely. So I I I I have two very prominent examples in my life where where edge pressure has been the the key. I think Javon Kinlaw is going to need to be a really good player too. There's um, no doubt. There's no doubt. He, you have to have a guy pushing the middle at least a little bit. And Eric Armstead's a good rusher from the inside, and having another edge guy in, in passing situations will allow him to do that, where where he's more effective. But yeah, I I think that edge rusher is their top need. They obviously need cornerbacks just because they need bodies. They have three Absolutely. under contract. Absolutely. But I I'm not in the pick a cornerback number twelve and then pick another one in the second round. If anything, load up on edge guys because exactly. they they have one healthy one right now. Who paid more dividends? I mean honestly looking at last year, was it Javon Kinlaw on the 49ers as bad as it was or was it Jeff Akuda on the Detroit Lions, who went, I believe, fourth overall? Like yeah, Akuda, Akuda was abysmal. And again, coming out, we all thought this is a can't miss player, right? I mean I hey, think everybody hey. thought that. Right. And then do you know do you know what the 49ers did after that? They hired the Lions defensive coordinator to coach their defensive backs. It, it's, I, I mean, again, so I don't know. It's just, I look at the way that this team is kind of situated right now, Kyle. And I see this as the most important off season of the Shanahan Lynch era. Yep. Like when they started in 2017, I, I really don't think people understand. There was one blue chip player who was not yet a quote unquote blue chip player in DeForest Buckner. I liked what he did in 2016, but I had no idea he was going to become the player that he would evolve into. And like they had nothing. Nothing else. Like, nothing else. Jimmy Ward was a positionless. Eric Armstead was a guy that couldn't stay on the field for more than four games. Like, this team was starting over from scratch. And we act like Shanahan inherited a Ferrari. No, he inherited a Pinto sitting on milk crates. Like, that's what it was. So, this offseason, after they spent like crazy in 2017, some of those worked out, some of them didn't. They've got an opportunity this year to kind of reset themselves. And, and again, I don't hold the sins of overpaying before because you were not a winning team you had to overpay to get to where you are now now you've got some culture you found some gems now you need to be a little more discerning with how you spend your money all right last question and then i want to get to one more topic with you yeah. but last 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 sentence to complete the 49ers win super bowl 56 if blank oh my god if they don't i told you i'm throwing fastballs <sighs> i'm a believer in what i call the pie chart of culpability it is not one person. Oh, please explain. It's not one person. No, because like when you lose, I've been a part of so many different teams, right? And when you lose, it's never one play or one person or one element of the game. It's a combination of things. So if it's a big pie chart, right, there's different slices. Kyle Shanahan and play calling was one slice. The ability to not be aggressive before the half, even though I thought Jimmy Garoppolo threw his best pass to George Kittle and it was unfortunately called OPI and called back. Like not getting the ball to George Kittle on the final four plays and having to have him inside because guys are hurt because you're deficient on the defensive uh on the offensive line and you're getting beat up by Chris Jones not handing Raheem Mostert a touch in the first quarter and playing catch up early on Quan Alexander not catching an interception that was thrown right between his numbers uh you know Emmanuel Mosley 
I don't even know what he was doing. I, I, I don't even know what he was doing, but like not calling an, uh, a, a hold on Nick Bosa. It was everything. Kyle, it wasn't one thing. That's the thing that drives me nuts. It's like, oh, Jimmy didn't connect with Emmanuel Sanders. And then yeah. Mahomes would have got the rock right back with a minute to go. Like, I'm not saying yeah. that they would have lost or won, but like we act like that was the last play. It's the same thing when people talk about the catch with Dwight Clark. Phenomenal. One of the greatest plays of all time. Drew Pearson almost yeah. scored and Eric Wright did a horse collar tackle that would have been illegal in this day and age. And then yeah. Danny White fumbled on the very next play. Like there was a sequence of events that happened after that, you know, and it, I just, we act like it's an isolated player or play or something. It was a team wide meltdown. And I go back to the first half, Andy Reed on fourth down going for and running that trick play from like the 1920s. I mean, it was put the balls on the table type of a moment. And I got to give him credit, man. And it's just, it's frustrating because I could play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game all day. Shanahan has blame. Sala has some blame. The defense was gassed out. Uh, you know, you want to pick on Richard Sherman? Fine. I, that's fine. He played great all year. He got beat by Sammy Watkins. You want to you want to pick on, on Nick Bosa not getting to the quarterback, uh, even though he had more pressures in that game than anyone in the history of man? Okay. You want to rip Jimmy Garoppolo? Fine. What about the offensive line? Where was George Kittle? Like, yes, 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 yes. It was all those things. I mean, can I go back to the Jets sweep with Debo? The guy's getting 20 yards of carry, for Christ's yeah. sake. It, Kyle, it drives me nuts because it was just a team-wide meltdown. That's what happened. They played great football, and then the wheels fell off. If you wanna, if if you wanna whittle it down to one throw, and I don't want to relitigate the whole Super Bowl here, but if you if your your prerogative is to whittle it down to one throw, after the Chiefs made it twenty to seventeen, after the Chiefs made it twenty to seventeen, the Forty ers had a second and six, I think. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Garoppolo had George Kittle running against I'm... Terrell Suggs. And Chris Jones batted the ball down. Made a great play. It was going to be a huge gain. It was going to be it was going to be like a 30-plus yard gain. And if you want to whittle it down to one throw, that was the one. Because that extends the drive. It allows them to bleed some clock. Now they're closer to midfield. They're probably running the football more. That, to me, was the play. Not the overthrow of Sanders. Well, which is fine. And I'll listen to that. Like, like, whatever. It felt desperate to go for a deep bomb on third down. Like, that feels like a first or second down play for me. Although, I mean, they had him. They had the guy open. They just threw it a little deep. It's hard to connect on a deep ball. The play that just, it just summed up the entire six minutes for me. The fourth down play. You don't even get a throw off. You yeah. don't even get a, yeah. if that doesn't speak to, it was a microcosm for the final six minutes. Everything went wrong, Kyle. And I don't know. Do, do you believe that it was one play or one person or one isolated thing? It because to, no. to me, it feels like no. it's the totality of everyone. Yeah, there, there, there. That was no single. I'm, I'm with you there. Let's look at next year's Super Bowl. Yeah, the 49ers win Super Bowl fifty six. If blank. You mean next year? Yes. Oh man, did I did I mess this one up on the last end? My bad. I didn't mean to. Uh, did I screw all, up? The hey, hey, all Super good. Bowl. You know, you <laughs> had to let that rip, and that's fine. That was fifty four. We'll talk fifty six now. Yeah, if they get back to being the most dominant front seven in football, like we can talk about the quarterback, and, I, and I'm here for it. Quarterback's got to play well, but it's for me, it's the dominant front seven play. When you have two linebackers who can run and cover the yes. way that the 49ers have, you're going to be in a lot of games. Like, just yep. right there. If you can get some edge pressure in this division, I, I, I really think you're going to be a battle-tested team. You're going to be a defense that hangs your hat on toughness and knocking around quarterbacks, so they're not going to be comfortable in the pocket, and that's how you get the worst performances out of them. Case in point yesterday with Patrick Mahomes. And, and yes, I think what goes along with elite defenses, without saying, every team with an elite defense – always seems to have a great running game. Kyle, it's funny how that works itself out, right? You know, yep. hey, the game's a little shorter. Let's run the ball. And if you can run the ball, then you're opening up the play action, which we know Jimmy Garoppolo does really well. Kyle Shanahan's great at it. You can get chunk plays down the field. Like, to me, we can talk offense, and I'll listen. And, and quarterback is very important. I'm not here to dilute it. Front seven is so paramount for me. If they can return to getting this front seven to being one of the best units in the league, which I do believe they're like one or two plays, uh, players away from getting that done, they could be right back in the mix, Kyle. Like, that's the secret sauce. Yeah, the quarterback's got to be good. Name me a Super Bowl winner without an elite front seven. It's it's so rare. It's way more rare than the Brad Johnson types uh, hoisting Even the Lombardi. Even the Chiefs last year, it, it was Frank Clark. Dude, it was, was awesome. it was, was awesome. Chris Jones. 
it, you you have to you have to put pressure on the quarterback. I'm I'm with you there. I think this offense, as long as Shanahan is running the show, I think the offense is going to put up points. And that's why I'm paying him eleven million dollars, Kyle. Right. Like I, right. I believe in Kyle's ability, Shanahan's ability to coach him up, as they say. I think I, I this is a little bit off topic, but my, I think what the 49ers are going to wind up doing at quarterback, not what not what I think they're going to wind up doing, but did you see Lance Zerline's mock? No, on NFL.com. No, and like he has the 49ers drafting Trey Lance. I, I'm I'm laying off Twitter right now. Twitter's not real life, okay. so I had to take a Twitter hiatus. <laughs> so that's why I'm I'm just out. It's just so many evil, mean people. Yeah. I just I don't have time for it, man. And I love you, and I love interacting with people like you who like yeah. laugh and smile. But there's so much anger, and it just yeah. I don't need that in my life, man. I got enough going on in my own personal stuff. S- S- same. <laughs> uh, I'm still on the internet too much. It's fine. Uh, Lance Zerline has the 49ers drafting Trey Lance from North Dakota State, number 12 overall. And that's the kind of move because I I see the quarterback position the way you do. And that if you bring a rookie in and start him, you're just taking yourself out of the Super Bowl running in 21. 100%. It's just that uh, uh, there's a reason a rookie quarterback has never started or won a Super Bowl. So... I, I, I think that you, because a rookie would be cheap enough, you can keep Garoppolo, bring a rookie in, and, and have him bring him along. And I think I think that Lance is the exact type of prospect to do that. I don't know how much you've watched him. Uh, I watched him for like a minute the other day, and I was sold. He's <laughs> well, like 6'3", 215. Yes. He, ha- he can make all the throws, and he old. runs like crazy. But he, yeah, only has, he only has about 17 starts. So I think it's 19, yeah. Whatever, but... You- point being is that's why you don't play him right away like you sit and you learn and you study the playbook what do they say about kyle shanahan's offense oh in year two oh it's all about right right but let me take it another way forget the rookie that you would be throwing to the wolves what about rehabilitating jimmy garoppolo isn't the job to coach up who's on your roster like i believe that you could shine this guy up and at least get more value for him next offseason. We're so obsessed with just moving off of him. He's at his lowest point right now. It's not like he's making $40 million a year. If that was the case, okay, yeah, situation critical. You have to move off of him. I can't be paying him that much money. His cap hit isn't that bad. And I think one of the yeah. things that they did during the Alex Smith era that no one ever talks about is they traded away Tim Rattay in the first three weeks of the season, and he had nobody in that quarterback room who could teach him the ways of the the offense and of how to be an NFL professional. We could talk about is the guy good? Is he not good? But there is something to be said for the Chad Henney types and the Alex Smith types, even though Alex is significantly better than Chad Henney, who teach young players how to be pros. Matt Moore comes to example in, in yeah. my head. Like you need those guys around just to teach you the ins and outs. And then from a physical standpoint, I don't want to throw someone to the wolves to make these decisions because I still think I have a roster who can win this year. Like you can yep. win with this team. Like who says that you got to give that guy, uh, you know, the starting job right away? Like, if you're not drafting Trevor Lawrence, it feels like all the other guys could sit and learn a little. And who's to say this? Let's say Jimmy Garoppolo's playing really, really well, and, and he's holding off that guy. What if I make the most of the Jimmy Garoppolo situation? Meaning competition brings the best out in him, and he goes to a level that was unforeseen. Yeah. I'm not saying this is a Steve Young, Joe Montana thing, but people always say, oh, they brought in Steve Young. Yeah, and it pushed Joe to heights he had never reached until that point. Like, yeah. there, there's a there's a competitive factor where you're elevating the play of others around you. So I think for every reason that we're bringing up right here, yeah, if you want to draft a guy and sit him, I'm all for that. I'm just not ready to throw Jimmy Garoppolo away because his value is too low right now. He's not making a whole lot of money, and I still think he could be a good player, Kyle. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. Kyle Shanahan has talked about how he thinks there's another level Garoppolo can get to, and he was talking about that after 2019, and I don't think he had a chance to get there next year, and I think if he's healthy, there is a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo than we saw in 2019, and if they get that on top of a a really excellent defense that's in the top 10 or 12 in the league, they can absolutely win a Super Bowl in an NFC that's that's pretty wide open. Can, can I give you I, one last stat real quick? And I don't mean to cut you off here. No, you're fine. Baker Mayfield was an unmitigated disaster last year. Would you yep. agree? Okay. Yeah. What was the difference this year? Okay. He had more time to throw than he's ever had in his entire career. And PFF ranked the Cleveland Browns in the top five in terms of offensive line grades. Okay? Look at you citing PFF. And you I know I so don't proud like of analytics. You, right now. you know I don't I'm like so analytics. proud of you. But they also had one of the most dominant run games that the Cleveland Browns have ever had yes. going back to like Jim Kevin Brown. Kevin Stefanski. All right. 
You're telling me that Baker Mayfield just all of a sudden became infinitely better? Okay, he, he got a little better. I got, confidence is, is a thing. He's pretty much the same guy. He's got a very quick release. He's in the top 10 in terms of once he starts his delivery, getting rid of the ball. But all of those things that I brought up are why he's playing better. The defense was better. The offensive line was better. He was in run game situations where he could go into the deep play action, deliver the ball down the field. And that was all with Odell Beckham Jr. going down. You're telling me Jimmy Garoppolo can't have a year like Baker Mayfield just had? Like, I, I just, I don't buy that. Like, I think that Jimmy yeah. can do exactly what he did in 2019 and even be more efficient. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And now that that's all said... I don't want to say the elephant in the room because it's not quite in the room yet, but it's definitely lurking over yonder. So I want to address the elephant lurking over yonder. Deshaun Watson. We talked about the quarterback position. You think Garoppolo can get better. We've talked about how you think the front seven is super important. Is there anything you are not giving up if the Texans say, if they get closer to the draft and they panic and they go, you know what, he's going to sit out the year, we don't have a first-round pick, we need to start rebuilding, let's make this deal. Is there anything that's not on the table if you're the 49ers? Nick if Bosa, you, Joe Shasky, yeah. are the 49ers. Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. Now, Brandon Ayuk, I'm, I'll listen to because I do think it's easier now to find a wide receiver than it's been in years because yeah. there's just so many wide receivers that have been coming out and been instant impact players. But I really like Ayuk. I, I keep comping him to Torrey Holt in terms of like smoothness and ability to just get open. And it doesn't look like he's trying hard. He's just silky smooth, man. He right. really is. Uh, and and edge pressure and the, and the linebacker play. Can I find another Drake Greenlaw? Maybe. Maybe I can. It's really hard to find a Fred Warner. I mean, it's just yeah. really hard. Like, I thought Reuben Foster was a can't-miss type of a player. He just can't play. I mean, he, I just I don't see it. I don't see how he can play in the NFL. Fred Warner is a guy that I'm just not giving up. Yes, the linebacker position is extremely dangerous. Guys can fall off. But the way he plays the game, he doesn't take on fullbacks head-on like guys used to in just the generation prior. Like, he's out in space covering tight ends, baiting quarterbacks into plays. I'm not getting rid of him. I'm not getting rid of George Kittle for obvious reasons. Not getting rid of Bosa. But just about anything else, I'd be willing to surrender. The only problem that I have with this, Kyle, it feels like, again, I go back to overcompensating when it comes to Shanahan. If they swung this, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But it would feel very overcompensation-ish, as I like to say, where it's like, hmm. huh, we didn't even investigate looking into him. Let's throw four or five first-rounders. Now, I'm okay with that. That's whatever. But, like, you got to make sure you have a roster that's still intact once you trade for someone that the guy right. can actually compete and thrive. Like, you, you got to have that in place. So I'm not surrendering any of my, of my top defensive players because they're so hard to come by. Uh, and I'm not giving up Kittle because Kittle's the heart and soul of this team. He's such a great run blocker. He's a dynamic pass catcher. And he's the heart and soul of this team. And you can't trade away heart and soul players back-to-back-to-back to back to back years like you did with DeForest Buckner. Like, that team missed yeah. him. You know, like I, I'll, I'll go to bat for them on the financial hit. I don't want to pay a defensive tackle 20-something million dollars a year. But you can't keep trading locker room guys every other year. Like, that right. is that is something that I would be worried about. And then here's the other thing. Like, you missed on him. Go find the next one. Like, just because Deshaun is great doesn't mean there aren't other great quarterbacks that can be found. Go find yeah. the next one. That's why I'm paying you $11 million. That's it. Now, yeah. I would take them. I'm not saying I wouldn't take them. I'm not saying that I wouldn't try to do it. It just it feels very like, oh, we, we drafted Sam Bowie instead of Michael Jordan. Trade 1,000 draft picks, and we'll give you all of our great players. Here's Clyde Drexler. Here's everyone, because <laughs> we overcompensate to go get Michael Jordan. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I sure do. What would and you I think do? I I flip-flop on this. At first, I was in the same camp as you. Like, all those players were not on the table. The the picks, I give them up. It's fine. But now I lean a little bit more toward if unloading, if it's going to be three first-round picks, three second-round picks, um... Drake Greenlaw and Javon Kinlaw. Mm, that's a lot. Right. But if the Texans say, we'll make it two first, one second, and Nick Bosa, now all of a sudden that becomes a little 
is the is the juice worth the squeeze? I think is if if I'm using that yes. properly. Uh, I'd never use that phrase in my life, but you used it and I like it, so I'm stealing it. I I think that's and again, this isn't something that I'm hard and fast on where I'm absolutely, but that's where I start thinking about that and I start thinking about putting Nick Bosa on the table if it's going to mean taking a ton of drafts com, draft compensation off the table, where now all of a sudden you're going to have pieces to kind of keep restocking the roster. That's that's where I think about it. Well, um, let me ask you this question. But I'm, this I'm not in the I'm not in the get Deshaun Watson and figure it out. Yeah, camp. that's that's reckless. That's because cool. that's that's that, that's how you wind up as the Texans. Exactly. Or the Jets or right. the Mets every year in baseball. Like, again, this is like trying to go get a house and you can't afford the mortgage. Right. Like, you got to be able to afford the mortgage, Kyle. You know what I mean? Like, that's the way I look. at Yeah. This. Let me ask you this question. Would the L.A. Rams trade Aaron Donald and whatever to go get Deshaun uh, Watson. No, I don't think so. I agree. Now, I'm not saying that Nick Bosa is Aaron Donald. Hey, hey I'm well, the Rams the don't have any first-round picks to give up. So. Yeah, I know. I know. But do you get what I'm going at with that? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. I don't think Bill Parcells would have traded Lawrence Taylor for Joe Montana. I just don't. Like, yeah. I don't think he would have done that. It's yeah. so hard to find edge pressure guys. Like, I watched Cassius Marsh it's, and Elvis Duberville, right, for Christ's right. sake. Like, no. Just, can we keep him? The, the NFL has and NFL offenses have evolved to the point where it is becoming easier to get good enough championship level quarterback play. Yes. Yes. I mean, offenses are so much more wide open, um, especially with a, with a, with a coach like Kyle Shanahan, where you can take a chance on a toolsy guy like Josh Allen. I don't think Josh Allen is going to be an outlier. I think we start seeing more guys like that, that Josh Allen five years ago is not getting drafted yeah and if he does it's late and he's a backup and a team never gives him a chance to develop so i think that's that's where i i lean toward agreeing with you Mm. is kyle shanahan's an awesome coach and if you give them enough now they need to take those cracks at quarterbacks they can't just find one that's good enough and and roll with it but if they keep drafting a quarterback uh, every couple years and trying to find a guy who who really fits the system and sticks. Um, I, I I could see them going that route too. Yeah. But if the tech if something happens where the Texans call and say, hey, it's two firsts, a second, and an X player, uh, that's that's something that uh, that I think I'm probably pulling the trigger. On. Kyle, you're gonna hate me. My wife's looking at me. The gardener's here. I gotta talk to him. We're landscaping in the backyard. No, I, I gotta was, run. I was right about to wrap up. That's perfect <laughs> timing. Uh, Joe Shasky, everybody. Yeah, we we certainly will. Joe Shasky, morning roast, 95-7 the game in San Francisco, 6-10 Monday through Friday with uh, Bonte Hill and Kate Scott. Thanks, Joe. Love you, buddy.